listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Welcome to another episode of The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. This is the Toronto After Dark Edition, and I, of course, am Large William, and... Not across the border, but across the table from me is uh, the uncool cat. He's not lying. Here I am. Yes. So we've, uh, luckily, we were moving on up in the world, and we got a press pass to Toronto After Dark. Uh, As it sort of came late, I wasn't able to see a lot of the screenings, so Chris has been, oh, uh, cat's out of the bag already. You're not just the uncool cat. Who's this Chris fellow? (laughs) Um, So... Chris, the cool, uncool cat, uh, was kind enough to offer up his time and provide reviews as you've been hearing thus far. So we were able to check out a couple screenings tonight together, and that was The Last Exorcism, um, which of course is the found footage style, documentary style exorcism film that's going to be out next week, I believe, and the aptly titled Alien vs. Ninja. Uh, so I guess first of all, we'll talk about The Last Exorcism. Um, this was my first film as a member of the press in any capacity, so I would be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit jazzed that I could just flash the badge and and I went. Uh, this screening was sold out. Uh, you know, as we saw, there was a major lineup to get in here. So, I mean, the blur was just jammed to the gills. Um, so, yeah. Uh, anything you want to add before we sort of get into the film here, uh, Chris? Um, yeah, I've been to the Toronto After Dark, as I mentioned before, for five years now. And I got to say, this is the one where I saw people the most excited um, to meet a celebrity there. Yeah. Like, because Eli Roth was there, and there was a girl behind me who you'd think we were going to see Brad Pitt. Of course. And she uh, was talking about his eyes, and I never thought I'd hear anyone talk about Eli Roth's eyes, Uh, other than myself. Yeah, of course, of course. I whisper it in hushed tones. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, his eyes are pretty dreamy, but I never thought I'd hear it either. So, yeah, and I have to admit, as much as I've been uh, kind of on the fence with Roth about some things, it's I was still curious to see. It was part of the draw for me to come down and see him do a QA. and I, I, I actually quite like Eli Roth. I'm one of the three people on the face <laughs> of the planet who still like him. And i got to say, it was very cool. Our line, uh, I was with the measly ticket holders, Will spit on me as he passed me by with his... <laughs> press pass i'd requested that though um (laughs) but yeah we were our line stopped dead when eli roth sort of just came out of the blur cinema which blur street is a crowded street here in toronto and said anyone want a picture with me very nonchalantly and of course that shit crazy girl wanted a picture with him but the line yeah had to stop and stare and i was there with at tiff um when he premiered cabin fever yeah and he was a very likable guy then. Yeah. Um, I think I told you the story about when I was waiting for Irreversible, I was wearing a horror t-shirt, and my, I had a friend with me who was wearing a horror, horror t-shirt. His was a thing. I think mine might, might have been Evil Dead. And an older woman came up to us and was like, do you like horror movies? And we were sure she was going to invite us back to her place, but <laughs> uh, no, no, it wasn't to be. She, uh, We said, oh, yeah, of course we like horror movies. And she, oh, my son loves the horror movies. And I'm making her sad. She wasn't 800 years old. She wasn't going to throw you in an oven and and eat. (laughs) I do like two voices once. (laughs) But uh, 
And so we were, oh, yeah, that's really cool, you know, thinking, oh, he lives in the basement would be her next. uh, But she, oh, he has a movie playing tonight you boys would really like. And it was Cabin Fever. She would say, you should really see my boys film. And it was it was actually really sweet. And I've kind of liked Eli Roth. Since then, yeah. even though I wasn't a fan of Cabin Fever, I've liked Hostel, Hostel 2. Thanksgiving. Um, Thanksgiving, of course. Yeah. Um, but Hostel, I still, I we talked about it earlier. I, I take a long time when I talk about its merits. I think there are a lot of merits in that film that just get overlooked, which I don't understand. Yeah. Anyway, rambling. No, no, that's okay. We, as everyone knows, we ramble on this show, and that's perfectly fine. Um, but yeah, no, he's the producer of this film. I can't remember the director's name. We're not going to sound as intelligent as we usually do. We don't have internet access, so there's no IMDb to make to save our asses. Yeah, unfortunately, we're doing this where I live, which is a cave uh, down by the river. Yes, precisely. Uh, look, there's a trout. Um, <laughs> that's uh, that's actually not a trout. That's my <laughs> that's my brother Cletus. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so anyway, the, the film, uh, for those of you who don't know, The Last Exorcism is essentially a film about a priest uh, who's lost faith, uh, I guess, in religion, and um, it's him going to do one last exorcism of a, a woman, and he's a bit of a snake oil salesman. Not unlikable, though, and I think is a testament to the actor who played him, uh, as well as the, the, the way the character was written. He, he was still very likable, and, and you... I think you you got behind him, and he was very human. He didn't feel like a scummy kind of guy. Well, I think also he played, as you said, a snake oil salesman, the kind of preacher, uh, sort of a Baptist preacher, I don't know if mm-hmm. it would be, who, from a, being a small child, was raised to be this man who he became. Um, he never really had a choice in the matter. And uh, he, as uh, you were mentioning, I believe, he sort of has fallen away from that, but... I think to be that kind of person, the kind of person who can talk to a whole church about making banana bread and get them all behind you, um, you have to have a charismatic char- person. Mm-hmm. And that comes across very well from the opening frame of this film to the closing frame of this film. This actor, it's a shame we I can't remember his name. L- yeah, look it up, though, because one thing that both of us took away from this film more than anything, and it was a good film, I think we can be forthright and saying we both enjoyed it, yeah. is the fact that uh, there was great performances across the board, and in and amongst those, the crown jewel is the uh, the preacher's performance. Uh, I mean, just fantastic. Yeah, there's a, I, I think you'd be hard-pressed not to get behind this character. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And he, both of us kind of got a, a bit more of a, an intelligent, more sober Thomas Jane, Matthew McConaughey. What, who else did you say? Young Michael else? Douglas. Young Michael Douglas. That, that's sort of, I guess, a, a stew of sorts. It maybe doesn't give, paint a clear picture, but... Um, really good, really charismatic, like we said. But, but the good thing is he straddles that line between being charming and not like uh, like sleazy or insincere. He seems very sincere. And, and they do a good job of building up his character, showing his family. He's got a son that has a hearing aid. And, you know, he's got some difficulties in his life. And they, they never he never seems above it or too slick. Absolutely. It, they, they really build it up well as a man who maybe was slick through most of his life, who realized you know, this isn't the way. This yeah. isn't the way. He had an experience with his son. Um, he read something in the paper and decided to change his life. And that's why they're making the documentary. Yeah. And I think that gives a lot of, it, it's a good reason behind the documentary. It's not just a bunch of students going out with a camera to shock you. What? It's, 
he's doing it to prove something. He's going out to prove that these exorcisms are a sham, that his life's a sham. And yeah, I love, there's one sequence where he's in a motel room and he's on the bed and uh, it's during the ex, not during the exorcism, the night of uh, the exorcism, they go back to the motel Mm -hmm. and it just, as he, he's all charisma, he's all charm. Then as the camera backs away, he doesn't, realize it's still on him he sort of just sort of slumps a little in the bed it just it's a great performance yeah no it really is and i think they do a good job of giving this it feels legitimate like it doesn't feel like a bunch of college students making a film because no. you always ask yourself the same questions with the fun footage stuff why wouldn't you drop the fucking camera and run because this film does a really good job of and it's a tightrope walk uh of of being sensational and just it's not quite enough where you would bug out and drop the camera and leave. Yeah. But it's enough that it, it gives you a lot of tension and a lot of chilling stuff without being overly like masturbating with the crucifix, head spinning pea soup. It doesn't go to those levels. Um, but it's enough that it's compelling and still pretty, pretty creepy. Um, I am surprised that they, they didn't open it up because it is one of the lost, you know, documentary shows that they didn't say this is based on a true story or, you know, that, that, that <laughs> the whole, trick, the, the trick. Yeah. I mean, that, that happens so often, it, you know, TCM, uh, a lot of films, right? Fargo. Fargo. That I mean, fucking Fargo. Yeah. I'll rated R. Sorry. No, nah, <laughs> nah, that's okay. I love Fargo. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, seems a lot have followed Fargo's footsteps with the trick the audience into thinking it's real to get emotions that oh, you yeah. wouldn't actually get from the audience if they went in thinking it's fake. For sure. Absolutely. And it happens a lot, and especially with this kind of footage. And another film that it really struck me that this reminded me of is Behind the Mask, The Rise and Fall of Leslie Vernon. I think it was Rise and... Was it The Rise or The Rise and Fall of um, Leslie Vernon? I wish I could remember yeah. now that you're sitting <laughs> behind the mask. We'll yeah. behind the mask. He also, and I said to you, I hope that this actor doesn't sort of have the same demise or limbo that that actor had. It was a great performance. And yeah. this film reminds me of that in that it's a... a it's a postmodern take on a genre that isn't above its material and it doesn't rely on look what we know. It, it, it references the, the, the previous stuff without being overly smarmy about it. Absolutely. You, you can see it's definitely influenced by The Exorcist. And even, I don't know, have you seen The Exorcism of Emily Rose? Yes. The barn scenes, yeah. definitely. Like, I don't think it's uh, above you know, sort of paying homage to these and not hiding their... Uh, Where's it on his sleeve? Yeah, exactly. Whereas uh, I think a lot of times with uh, this type of thing, it you're right, it's smarmy. It seems like we're above this. This sort of just puts incorporates it into the movie and does it very well. And it, and when you make yourself smarmy, you dis, you, you, the audience immediately has a disconnect with the characters. So, you know, it becomes an exercise in... in being self-referential as opposed to investing the audience in your characters. Well, I think that's the thing, too, is this is such a character-driven film. Yeah, um, I don't think there's even a, an attempt at a scare Not before really. 45 minutes, an hour into the movie. And that's one of the things I love about the film is it's a slow build. They're very patient. It's not what we've become accustomed to with horror films because what this is and what you think it's going to be may not be the same thing, but this, I think, will get under the umbrella of horror, yet it doesn't try to scare you for 45 it, it has faith in the writing and then investing in the characters. It takes us time to do that, which is a great, great decision. And there isn't a bad performance in the no. whole film. Uh, the Corbin Bernstein uh, yeah, lookalike, the father, the yeah. father <laughs> fantastic. And 
I really got to praise the girl who played the exorcist, uh, or the girl with the, the girl. demons. Yes. Who went from sweet, innocent girl to not so much. Not so sweet, innocent girl. And she reminded me, I said, of Kate Mara. Uh, Kate Mara, of course, it was in Brokeback Mountain. She played Heath Ledger's daughter. She's been in a lot of stuff. Good actress, got the doe eyes, and has sort of a sweet look uh, about her. So, But she, when... Oh, sorry. No, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say, when it was time to turn it to something else, she... Let's just say, uh, without spoiling too much, there's yeah. no CG and no makeup. Yeah. It, like... It's, it's all her. Yeah, the, which is amazing. Her. And that's, that's the thing, I think. But, see, they do a great job of showing you enough of her laying it all out without exposing that it's just her performance. Like, if they let it linger sometimes too much, it might it might kind of break that, yeah. shatter that illusion. But they do it just enough to kind of spook you without being overly sensational, which I think was a good uh, a good decision. Yeah, and I think that's also where the first-person camera comes in well. Yeah. Um, you know, the camera's not always steady, especially during the scenes where she's either making a monstrous face or something. Mm -hmm. So you only see it for a second. And there's one scene in particular where, uh, the stairs scene. Yeah, yeah. Where it happens, like, it just, I, I'm spoiling too much. No, enough, enough said. But uh, another thing I want to get back to is, um, Rick and I, the Sammy Rick, and I talked about this, uh, He's not a big fan of the possession or, you know, demons and so forth. He thinks it's a bit of a silly. Uh, yeah, I've heard. I've heard. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you've heard us talk about that. And it's just one of the things I said I hoped this film would do, and I think it does well uh, to a large degree, is I think whether you believe in God or you're religious or not, I think sometimes um, that's not even the point. I think what can be unsettling sometimes is the depths of mental illness that, that engulf these people, this religious mania. Like mm -hmm. I was reading up a few nights ago on the exorcism of Emily Rose, just mm -hmm. kind of thinking about this film that we went to see and thinking about that and reading, cause that was based on a true case of a girl in Germany. Um, and there was a lot of stuff. Her family were very religious and, and she died and the priests and the parents were charged in her death. And, and, uh, I was looking at pictures of the actual girl mm -hmm. and it was a bad decision at two in the morning after I just gotten off work, hadn't slept. And I got this girl's, emaciated kind of haunted eyes burned in my brain you know that night but uh, yeah I think wherever your faith falls at that point doesn't matter no it, I, it's no. much like a monster under the bed mm -hmm. uh, you may not believe in the monster under the bed but mm -hmm. maybe there are times when you're a kid and not even when I should uh, say even I don't believe in werewolves mm -hmm. Doesn't make me hate a werewolf movie. Like yeah. I'm not gonna watch a werewolf movie going. Those things don't exist. Yeah, yeah no, for sure. Uh, so yeah, for it's sure. it's definitely whether you believe in God or don't believe in God. I don't I don't think it should prevent you from enjoying the film, as Eli Roth even said at the end. Agreed. But I think sometimes people have a hard time letting it get under their skin. It's almost like yeah. like another thing Rick and I talk about, I think we're both a bit annoyed by if it's not done well, and I don't know how you feel about this, Chris, is, is Evil Child. It can get to be a bit preposterous. Yeah, it really, <laughs> it can be great. Yeah. Or it can be god-awful. And, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much almost all genre. Cannibal movie can be great. It can be awful. But the evil child can be laughably awful or almost, if it's just so unbelievable, um, grating. Absolutely yeah. well, grating. Because, yeah, but then it becomes like, okay, just punch the kid in the head, like enough, be done with it. Yeah, but I do like the idea of like 
what does it take to punch a kid in the head? Agreed. And now that I'm a parent, I think I'm, I can see the apprehension. I can see Gregory Peck's apprehension a little more. Absolutely. And the who can ch- kill a child. Yeah, absolutely. Where like, yeah, the only way to save ourselves is to kill children. And that's kind of like <laughs> killing a bit of your soul. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, it is. I've got to go on a killing spree with kids. Yeah. yeah. Life sucks right now. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know. It's true. It's totally true. But uh, no, I think, and the, the, I don't want to spoil too much about this film because it takes some twists and turns, but I think they do a great job of um, the viewer is kind of second guessing what they're seeing. If it's um, mental illness, if it's uh, if it's possession, what it is, because I think this film also works as sort of as commentary on religion and, and, and not, not, not bashing Christianity or Catholicism or anything like that. I just think that, again, the really the feverish kind of nature of religion sometimes. Well, the, the great thing about it, too, is the preacher mm-hmm. is the voice of uh, science. Really, in the movie, he's the one who, at the very beginning, has changed his life uh, and is sort of out to expose the frauds of uh, whatever church. I, they don't name the church, mm-hmm. whether it be Baptist or whatever. He's out to expose it and, like, let you know there's a lot more exorcisms out there than you really think there are. And uh, he is the voice that against religion. And that was a really good choice because you could easily have, um, say, the brother in uh, who uh, doesn't like religion. And if you have, like, someone who doesn't like religion and the priest preaching religion, it's just – that's very common. Yeah, like, it's very – and also, it's good to see a priest not vilified in a movie. A lot of yeah. times when you see a priest, he's either revealed later to be a pedophile or revealed later to be a hypocrite. Or he's a zealot. Yeah, or, yeah, exactly. He doesn't allow dancing in his small yeah. town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Until the bacon shows up and changes everything. Yeah, the Turn, Messiah yeah, named turns, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> turns the world upside down, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, but no, they handle the loss of faith thing really well, and, mm-hmm. and they they kind of show um, how a lot of these exorcisms are performed by snake oil salesmen that are a lot worse and have considerably less of a conscience than he does. Because we see children have died in, during these exorcisms and stuff, they handle that really well. Because that's Very even good. something with let's let's face it, and Eli Roth touched on this. Uh, the exorcist is the, the, everything's going to be measured against, and you have the priest in that who's questioning his faith and stuff, and. And uh, to handle, Jason Miller, yeah, yeah, exactly. So the, for them to handle it well, uh, I think it was a testament again to the film. Um, yeah. Let's see here. All right. Okay, so I love the parlor trick vibe that we get a lot of times because at first when he goes in, and and that scene, uh, I, I hope I'm not disclosing anything you don't want to disclose here, but you you are an editor. Uh, yes, I am. So one thing I liked uh, from an editing standpoint was, and it was done, and there's some good, well-placed humor in this film, is when he was doing the original exorcism, he thought he was just going to do his little smoke and mirrors routine, and we can see him rigging up certain things, and it would cut to him at the hotel and showing how he was setting yeah. things up, and that was a really well-done uh, Yeah, it's, a, it's really funny. In a lot of movies, uh, when you can cut, intercut stuff, so you have the insanity of the exorcism and you can intercut that with like suddenly when someone's screaming at the top of their lungs then just cut to him saying sounds very important like in a small hotel it's always good for a laugh and the film is edited very well and I think I will go into editing for a second I think with a lot of these found footage movies you don't really want to edit them 
uh, you know, the way you would edit a regular film uh, with, like, okay, wide shot, and you get a couple close-ups, you get a couple different angles, because you want to believe the camera's moving and swishing and go- going back and forth. Uh, Romero did try that. Admirably, I'm not a fan of the Diary of the Dead very much at all. And I don't think it worked at all, him trying to do the found footage movie as while well, using almost cinematic shots. Yeah. This worked impeccably. This it was a while into the movie that I even started to realize, wait, this isn't as much swinging camera. This isn't as much shaky camera. Mm-hmm. And if I work with footage all the time, mm-hmm. footage isn't always shaky. Like it, it, cameraman isn't always like uh, <laughs> de- having coffee or yeah, needs yeah. another drink or something. <laughs> it, most cameramen can hold it fairly steady. And then with the editing, cutting to reaction shots and stuff never bothered me because the story's so compelling. The performances are there in front of you. That's, I think, also what Romero didn't uh, have in his favor is the performances weren't there. Yeah, you get much The damage. story wasn't compelling. So you're going to notice. And the editing sucks. And the shot composition sucks. You... Smoke and mirrors. If you have good performances, good uh, good story, you can... Mass you can, lot of deficiencies. Absolutely. And no one really will even leave going, oh, wait, there was a lot of cutting in that yeah. film. But yeah. yeah, excellent excellent editing. And the intercutting was very, very... It worked very well. They yeah. picked the right... It Just very good. Oh, yeah. No, it, it, it was yeah really, really well done. Uh, and I think, even though it's a lower-budget film, I think some of the the effects and some of the stuff they use, uh, more sensational stuff, it's um, it's done really, really well. Uh, even to the point where I'll have to say there's there's a scene where like, a cat uh, gets killed. Uh, but I think all the, the effects um, were handled really well, considering I think they were very conscientious of what their limits were budget-wise. Yeah. They did a good job with that. Uh, also, they use shadows really well in this film, I think, to create tension. It's, it's like that thing where... Um, you're like with, with first person stuff or with, with, with uh, found footage stuff where you're kind of like the camera cannot swing around fast enough mm-hmm. for you and you're waiting to see what the shit's hitting the fan over in that corner it's like in wreck or yeah exactly like, come on turn the fucking camera on let's go I need to see what's going on so they do a great job with shadows and the camera to create and I do love that little scene I, I hope this isn't spoiling anything uh, I'll say uh, to you maybe the doom type scene with the uh the cat happens in that oh, scene. Oh, right, 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 right. Where it's the actual possessed person. Yeah, that's not smart. Okay, that has the camera. So you actually, the possessed person picks up the camera, and it's almost like a video game or yeah. something where you're following the possessed person into the barn, and mm-hmm. it, it was it was done very well, very entertaining. And it, it's a very unsettling, because you, now mm-hmm. you're in the hands of the person that's possessed, and you get to yeah. see, because they've built up a little bit what they've done, right? Oh, the absolutely. Brutality, so you're going to see it firsthand. You know the reason the exorcist is called in there yeah. to do this stuff. I don't think we're spoiling. No. Uh, they're fighting the livestock slaughtered and the daughter with blood on her clothes. Yeah, a lot So you know when she's going towards that barn, she's not going to bail hay. She's there to kill some animal. Yeah, yeah. Wishbone some uh, poor animal. Uh, I just got a couple more notes. Um, I think there's a great scene that kind of has the onset of her possession it's sort of her being scared that she can feel it coming and she sees it coming. And again, because you care about the woman, the, the girl uh, and the performance, um, you kind of f- f- afraid for her. Yeah. You, know, you really are. Yeah. And I, that's the scene in the barn 
um, once again, her contortions uh, really sell it. But you're right. It's a performance and what she's built before that Mm -hmm. that makes you really afraid. And there's a lot of characters in that scene. Oh, yeah. And you're afraid for them all. And it really builds attention of you, something's going to happen. Yeah. Oh, for sure it does. Uh, and I won't say any more, but there's a fantastic moment with some fingers and counting down 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was mentioning to you, uh, Rick, Samurai. Yes. He uh, he has the eye gouging and the nails, mm-hmm. uh, people getting their nails torn off. Yeah. For some reason, I have, if I see fingers get, they always do this in the movies with the breaking the fingers. It's worse than, like, it's one of the grossest things I can imagine him. I remember Vertical Limit has a frostbite. She takes off her glove and her fingers, like, bent. But it's, for some reason, that grosses me out. I can watch, like, Cannibal Ferox. I can watch (laughs) all these movies. But bend a finger back, and I'm done. I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. Scream like a little girl. No, that stuff, sometimes it seems a little more grounded. It's not as sensational, so it maybe hits you a little more. Possibly. Um, I will say this. I was with the film, and I liked that near the end, it it was kind of going back and forth. I didn't know at this point if it was going to be commentary on religion. I was a little disappointed with the the, the last few minutes of the film. I know it didn't bother you as much, though. Um, I will say I would have much preferred it mm-hmm. if the tr- car didn't turn around near right. the end. I think the way it did end, kind of, have you seen Lake Mungo yet? No, I keep meaning to. Okay. It kind of ended on a very emotional note Mm -hmm. at that point. Had it just faded out as they were driving away. But you can't end a movie that way most times. I I think you have an aversion to what happens. You've mentioned on the show. Uh, But that wasn't wasn't what bothered me about it. It was just how theatrical and how... Yeah, yeah. Didn't bother me as much. Yeah. Uh, certainly didn't like it as much as another end. Like, had it wasn't the best ending for the movie. No. Um, and it was more because there it did have a ludicrous nature to it. And it betrays the rest of the film. Yes. And also, looking back on the film, it doesn't... The pieces, even if they, you can fit them together, they don't fit together satisfying. And it, it's later. smacks of, of interference. Like, even when someone, someone asked you, like, Rod, was that the original ending? And he kind of danced around it and said, well, I had more input with the ending. And you can kind of tell that, that it was more of, like, a, the, the studio wanting to trump it up a little bit. Yeah, I could imagine it being a much more subtle ending. And even, I would like to think that maybe it was that ending as they drove away. Mm. Um, but, yeah, that's also... Not a very satisfying horror ending. No, no it's not. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I think overall uh, we'll jump into make or break, etc. Do you, do you know what you kind of an idea? Uh, my make or break would have to be, I, I think I'd probably go for the, maybe you should go first. Okay. Uh, I'm okay. thinking. Make or break, what really made it for me in set medias was the early scenes with Cotton. And Cotton was the, the preacher. Um, they were well-written. Uh they were just the performance was really great and like I said I, I knew that I was in the hands of a character that I could get behind and it felt fleshed out and I had confidence this, this wasn't going to be just another lazy yeah. um, uh, cashing in on a uh, fad type film yeah another uh, found footage found footage nonsense film so that was the, what made it for me was those early scenes with Cotton uh, MVT are the lead performances especially Cotton I mean like I said the, the female lead was great the father was great the, the son was great the, everyone was great they looked like real people 
Um, cotton, I mean, you know, it's kind of like picking the, the the best, you know, a member of the Brazilian bikini team. You can't really go wrong. Everyone was great. Uh, my score for the film was a 7.5 out of 10. I was nice. pleasantly surprised with this film. I had some apprehension about it. Um, but I think it's a, it's a very solid entry into the horror genre with a lot of thought uh, behind it. Okay, so my make or break would probably be uh, roughly the same as yours. I was going to say performances, but then I'm thinking, no, that's my MVT. So performances are the MVT. So my make or break would probably be the the writing. I think the writing, and it definitely gave the lot a lot for the actors to, and up until the ending where, yes, it is flawed. I do like that there isn't one scare, really. Even an attempt at a scare, I like... Maybe I should say the pacing. Yeah, it's, no, it's um, when we say scare, there's no jump scares. No cheap tricks. Yeah, it's definitely an eerie... Uh, like, you know they're not going there for a tea party. They're going there because bad stuff's happening. But yeah, to reiterate, my uh, most... Uh, what is it? Most valuable thing. I'm most, nope, that's Make the performances. Break. Make or break. Is the pacing. Okay. I think the pacing... The pacing worked really well. Yeah, really, I kind of liked that it wasn't treating me like uh, it had to keep me entertained. It had to juggle fire for me yeah. and, you know, have a cat jump out of a locker every now and again. <laughs> that it treated yeah. me with respect, not like some dirty whore yeah, that came yeah. in and... <laughs> all right. Dazzle dazzling three minutes in. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. that, I, I really liked that a lot, so... Okay, good stuff. And my overall rating? Yes. 7.75. Oh, nice. Very nice. So I, I really like this one. Yeah, it was good, man. I, like I said, we were both, you know, I think we were both in favor of it. Hopefully, it comes out next week nationwide or, or internationally. Yeah. At least North American-wide. So, everyone, I'd be curious to see what your opinions are. Like I said, I think it's uh, a good one. So, that's it. There you go. 7.5, 7.75. And we will be right back with Alien versus Ninja. One of those boys so wild sawed his own head off going 90 miles per hour. From the drive-in to the video store, the podcast The Dreaded Sundown is your guide to the best in psychotronic cinema. Join Mike and John as they discuss the classic and not-so-classic in horror, cult, and exploitation film. You can find them at sundownpodcast.com or search for the podcast The Dreaded Sundown in the iTunes store. And don't forget to replace the speaker as you leave. making a conscientious effort to not say okay as i've been known to do so uh we're back we're going to talk about alien versus ninja this was our second feature in the double bill toronto after dark uh this is of course a japanese film that is simply put alien versus ninja uh it kind of falls in now whether or not it's it's better than these or not you'll find out as we talk about it but falls into that kind of prefab japanese cult film the meatball machines the tokyo gore police the machine girls I don't know if I'd agree. I okay. think those films are, I, I think Versus is sort of separate from those. Okay, fair enough. 
I, I kind of think Vert. Anyway, uh, I think those films are better. I, you th- okay, I'm no, playing my hand enough. a bit little early, but I yeah. think there's more inventiveness. Yeah. I think with the verses and the reason I haven't seen Death Trance is it's sort of people Same. dicking around in the backyard as opposed yeah. to uh, <laughs> a real movie. Yeah. But uh, I'm getting way ahead of myself. I, and I think it should be said, full disclosure, neither one of us is a fan of verses. We talked about that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh this is also, it's very similar to Versus, um, and it even shares the same action director. Um, I remember when I see, saw Versus back at TIFF, and yeah, I just remember thinking, like, this is really long, yeah, nothing's know. happening, every scene seems to take longer than it really oh, yeah. should, and it's one of the few ones I want to see the director's cut, because apparently he trimmed it down, Yeah, which it needed desperately. Oh, it was over two hours, and I, I think, you know what I always... When I think of films, it, like I think you touched on this, and I couldn't agree more. It, it feels like that really that gateway Japanese zany film for a lot of North American audiences. Yeah, and I think this is too. This uh, is too the alien. Ver- I think once you're a bit more honed in uh, Japanese film, and I don't claim to be a master or anything. Oh, but you you enjoy it. I've Absolutely, also- I love I love a good Japanese yes. film. Have you ever seen Loved Gun? I meant to ask you earlier. Which one? Loved Gun. Loved Gun. No, I, I haven't. I'll have to get it to you then. I have it. I will. I will happily watch yes. a uh, Japanese recommendation. It's more of a, a dramatic film than anything. Uh, but well, I, I forgot I had it and I found it on my shelf today. So no, nope, I don't even know if I've heard of it. Love Gun. Love Gun. Yeah, you'll I, enjoy it. Can I sing Love Gun uh, while watching it? You could. Like, you uh, could. Right. It's subtitled, so you won't be missing anything. Uh, <laughs> allowed. Um, this film is shot on video. I believe, correct? That's. Uh, I th- it, it looks. It like looks it, is. it. It looks it. I never noticed in the credits if it was shot on red, if it was shot on like what what type of. Well, it looks like shit. It, it yeah. looks like shit. Yeah. Video. Looks... I'll say video from the standpoint of quality wise. It looks like video, low budget. Um. Now, call me old fashioned, but I prefer old school ninja suits, like from the early eighties, like the Shokasugi, just a black cloth. You yeah, know, it's like it's like it seems like every nowadays when we get ninja suits, they look more like you know Rob Halford's last uh, priest tour outfits, like <laughs> leather and shoulder pads and breastplates. And well, they were fighting like the Gimp or something. A bunch of uh, yeah. people in the leather yeah. masks at the very beginning, and it's like this ain't my ninja. No, it seems this is like, those new ninjas. Yeah, they all look like Shredder or something. It's like I just don't understand how. What the, the, the need is to, to put them in all these this armor and yeah it, it really is uh, peculiar uh, speaking of good ninja films have you seen Duel to the Death no oh uh, no I don't know when did it come out oh, it's gotta be I, I'm horrible with dates could be early 80s late. I might have seen it then uh, it's, I can't remember anyone who's in it, and Japanese? I've made so many mistakes on this podcast now I won't I have to, don't feel uh, it's, I think it's Hong Kong and it's uh, oh, about yeah. a Ninja, it's Japanese versus Chinese, a monk, uh, Shaolin versus uh, ninja. And it just gets pretty outrageous at times. I'll, I'll get it to you. Okay. I was mixing it up with Nine Deaths of the Ninja with Shokasugi and Brent Huff. No, this isn't that. You can tell how good this movie is that we've now mentioned two other movies yeah. <laughs> that, we, uh, that we should see. Well, and also the thing that bothers me is these ninjas don't even bother to wear their masks. It's like we're in the age of... Highlights and hair ninjas, frosted tips. One of them has like a one carat diamond earring. Um, it's it's it, we're in like this isn't obviously 
Chinese. If it was, it would be like Canto pop stars. Like, yeah, it, it's like the Japanese pop stars playing dress up as ninjas. That's the vibe I get. You don't, you don't feel there's no authentic feeling ninjas in this. No, there's, and I don't know if that's what he was going for in his defense. I mm. think he was trying to make a stylish, you know, out there film, you know, a ready made cult film. Yeah, but. Yeah, it just didn't work. Even the old man looked like one of the younger people there with just dyed blonde hair. Yeah, he had uh, he had a popped collar. Um, something else I was going to mention about his wardrobe. I, can, I was writing in the dark a lot, so I... Yeah, I yeah. He's, he's certainly a memorable character. Oh, you mean like the leader of the ninjas? Is that what you no, mean? no, I mean the guy who you couldn't oh, wait till he died. God. He was like a chap, you know, Chapman Toe? The Chinese, uh, he, he was in uh, Infernal Affairs. The Chuck, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. He's in a lot of films. Yeah, of yeah. Films. Eric so Sang, is that it? No, no, Eric? Eric Sang is the older guy that was the boss. Chapman Toe was Eric Sang's yes, like underling course, that course. was buddies with Tony Lung Chuai. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's sort of like an infinitely more obnoxious version of Chapman Toe, a Japanese version of Chapman Toe. Yeah, this guy was pretty unbearable. I, I found every scene he was in was just grating. I, and I didn't know whether they were going for like the Bill Paxton from Aliens where it's instead of game over, it's let's run. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I, I mean, I know it, we're being maybe overly critical, but the, this guy was the most inept ninja ever. Even more than, like, the red outfit-wearing ninjas from, like, um, the American Ninja series. <laughs> like, he was, he was worse than them. I mean, it was just, you know... Well, he never did anything. No, he, he would just run. Did. He would run, and he would build weapons that didn't quite work, and that, you know, there's a bit of a payoff with that later on in the film, but... But I, di- I didn't understand why the other characters were protecting this guy who, like, would gladly leave them to die. Yeah, he said as much. So he would just fuck them over and breeze if, if the... But yet they, like, never just, like... The said, code get, maybe is the yeah, honor or some nonsense. That has, that has to be it, because otherwise I can't imagine... But how did I'd, he get to be a ninja? That's what I... Like, how, why isn't he one of those guys? And the, it should be said, the humor in this... They may have had a draw. Yeah, they might have had a draw, put their names in a... And a hat. And, and uh, oh. lucky chubby yeah, blondie lucky, yeah. gets to be a ninja today. Uh, and it should be said, the humor in this is extremely broad, extremely lowbrow, extremely obnoxious. Yes. There is an eye patch on uh, a very fey <laughs> uh, <laughs> Japanese guy. And I got to say, the eye patch, I almost felt like they made the eye patch after they had the cross. Because that eye patch covered like half his face, like the cross was like too big, so they had to like scrap the original eye patch and get like a bigger piece of leather to cut out to cut yeah. the cross. But yeah, he it certainly. Why was he even in the? He film? was so irrelevant. Again, comedic relief, but we didn't need any. We needed relief from the comedy in the film. Yeah, there was there was really as I as I mentioned before, aliens do fight ninjas at some point in this movie. Yes. And it's unfortunate that there's a movie around this. It would work well if it was just on some mixtape, you, yeah. uh, some compilation. But the unfortunate thing is, as I said, if there was a compilation with these fights on it, uh, with, for example, the girl fight with the alien, that oh, yeah. did that have some sense. outrageous yeah. moments, yeah. it would make you want to watch the whole movie. And yeah. this director, I don't know his name, and I'm not going to attempt to remember it, it, he just cannot pace a film. Like with Versus and with this, it just, they're unbearably paced. People, as I mentioned in the previous one, in uh, Hero, Evil in the Time of Heroes, yep. when they convalesce at the uh, apartment, it does sort of go downwards. But at least stuff's happening. Mm-hmm. I actually found my mind drifting. I actually had to pay attention to what was happening oh, wow. 
what they were saying because it was just so uninteresting. It was. It was. It was really bad. I, I don't know. I know in this too. If you were a, a ninja that wore a helmet, it is equivalent to red shirt in Star Trek. <laughs> Right. Yeah, you're not going to make no, it too far. It. I do want to give credit where it's due. Because this is clearly a low-budget film, though, I thought the effects, some of the choreography, the, the meat and potatoes of it was reasonably well yes. done. Yeah, and it, it did, didn't did skimp on the gore either. No, it was pretty gore. You see a lot of decapitations. Like, there's parts where I felt like all of the practical effects, like there'd be scenes where the aliens would kind of slaughter a bunch of people, and it was like just behind the camera, I got the feeling that like three or four members of the crew would just throw body parts in front of the camera yeah. to, to kind of see them land. Um, and the fighting. Yeah, the fighting was pretty good. I mean, you could tell these weren't experts, but they acquitted themselves well or the choreography masked some deficiencies. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not A-list fighting, no. but it's certainly the fight scenes were I would say they're the above, best part. They're above direct-to-video American stuff. Exactly. Which kind of gives you a barometer, I think. Uh Except Deadly Prey. Yes, precisely. Yeah, that that would be good. Him versus the aliens would have been fantastic. <laughs> and these aliens look like dolphins meets a alien from aliens. Yeah, it was. Obviously, they were trying to cash in on something versus aliens. Yeah. And it did seem weird that they went for Shamu the whale yes. head. Um, with, like, the alien. And it was, it looked like people... It, the costumes look possibly like interpretive dancer <laughs> costumes. Yeah. Like people might come out on stage and that's what they'd be dressed as, those aliens jumping out. They they weren't great costumes, but I don't think they tried to sell them as no. great costumes, no. so I forgive that. Like, okay, they know they don't have great costumes. And much like a lot of the night beasts and mm -hmm. stuff like that, that's what they have, so be it. Yeah. And... And, yeah, I can't really demerit that, but, yeah, the whale face. The, oh, uh, God. The Even the teeth, the way the teeth were aligned, it looked like like a whale. Like, you see, like, clips of, like, uh, marine land or something where the, the, they're throwing, like, a fish in its mouth. That's what it looked like when they would open their mouths. And probably the most interesting thing about the alien, which is the creatures in... Yeah. I, am I spoiling no, anything? This, no, this film I don't think can be spoiled. Okay. <laughs> it's it's pre-spoiled. Yeah. But, uh... I found the creatures inside the alien. I mentioned this to you. You, yeah. you said Night of the Creeps. Yeah. But I think it's a lot closer to uh, Meatball Machine. Which I haven't seen, so. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's very similar in the sense that these there's all these big monsters and stuff like that, but it's controlled by little mini cutesy aliens. It's, it's, it was very similar. Shockingly similar, actually. I'm sure it was borrowed. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he even owned up to it. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, did that. for sure, for sure. Um, the main hero in this film has a pretty bad combination of the wispiest beard and fakest tattoo in the history of good guys or heroes. Like, his beard was so wispy, man. Like, it was just, forget it, you know. And his tattoo looked like, like I don't even know, like, with, like someone took the cork off, like, a black pen and went, like, no, it was really bad, man. Really. For those who can't see, Will just drew on Yeah, his I simulated arm. that I was taking the cap off my pen and drawing it out. Uh, there was one line I liked in the film where an alien's about to attack someone, it's kind of hovering over him. The mouth opens up, 
and then a sword comes through, and you think it's the alien's like mouth at first, maybe. Yeah, the uh, like the Geiger. Yeah, creation. yes, exactly. And then the sword comes through, and it was a ninja getting to the back of the head, and he says, "Sorry, I took so long." I thought that was a pretty good moment. Oh, absolutely. And this, I didn't hate this film. No. I, it, I'm probably coming across as like, "Wow, this is pure garbage." This isn't. If you are a fan of outrageous, you've got to go through Drek. But I yeah. think there's a lot of horror films I even enjoy more than this. That I go through tons of Drek to get to the somewhat good parts. I think you'll see. You have to let go with this film, though, and, and stop yep. being critical. You kind of just have to roll with it and understand that it is a lot of Drek and a lot of nonsense. And, and just kind of release yourself from that critical act to enjoy it. Yeah, and truth be told, a lot of the audience... Seemed to enjoy it as well. They did. More than us. There was times where everyone seemed like they were clapping except us. Yeah, and it yeah. sort of made me think, like, am I being a film snob or yeah. something here? But no, I, no. I do believe it was... It, I generally can get behind a big action scene or a big yeah. wacky scene or something, but just with this and Versus, I find... I just find there's something about it that just, as I was saying to you earlier, doesn't even feel like a film. No. Like, it just no. seems like a demo reel or just seems like a bunch of random scenes put together with really bad dialogue getting us to the next fight. No, I agree totally. And i not saying I don't, uh, or I should say not saying that that's a bad thing. I don't mind movies that focus on action. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it just, it's a pacing. It, it really makes it a struggle to sit through, and I can't imagine it was more than 90 minutes. No. Oh, I know. I know. Uh, just a couple more notes I have. It did pick up for me near the end when it kind of got going and a lot of action. Like, it was a pretty inspired sequence with one of the female ninjas where there's some dry humping and a boxing match. And, and then we get our, our male lead with the wispy beard. And he does a German suplex. And there's a bit of a John Woo nod where he's going like this. Very funny. Yeah. That was funny. Uh, samurai fighting. There's some Bruno Mattei yelling from the guy. Um, there's like a Looney Tunes dynamite moment. So yeah. there was a few kind of things in there near the back end, the like last 20 minutes that were inspired. Like I liked how uh, once a lot of the ninjas that had been uh, taken by the aliens, they moved like marionettes. I kind of like that effect. That was kind of yeah. cool. So there were some inspired things. I just think, you know, you and I both said once the, the obnoxious comedic character was, was offed and decapitated satisfyingly, it kind of... yeah. You know, and and there were quite a few applause in the yeah. audience when that guy finally yeah. met his fate. I hate to spoil it for you, but I actually think you're, I'm doing you a favor by saying, "Don't worry, he does die." Yes, you won't have to watch him till the final frame. Yes, thankfully, and it's good to see a character you hate get the the ending they deserve. Because so often the character you hate ends up getting killed off screen. You don't get just that pleasure of seeing them get fucking killed. Like I think one of the Friday Thirteenth. I think it's part four or five with like a Teddy Boy. Uh, oh, it, I hate yeah. that guy, man. Hey, <laughs> isn't it like want to pet my teddy bear yeah, or yeah. something like that? Something like that. I love that guy. I've actually, oh, I've modeled my life, your life after, after that him. guy. I don't blame you. That's how I met my wife. Yeah, you had the cardigan wrapped around your neck. <laughs> is that te- is that Crispin Glover's friend? Yeah, Teddy Boy he had like the curly brown hair. He was busting. Who Crispin. always tells Crispin Glover he's a dead fuck? Yeah, I think so. One of the greatest characters yeah. of all time. Yeah. One of the greatest men of all time, clearly. Uh, Bronson watched that and said, you know, yeah, he had, I thought I had it. Yeah, late in his life he had a revelation. He had to turn up the, uh, you know. Fainous. Yes, yes, precisely. Uh, I got no more notes. Do you have any more? Um, I guess my only thoughts on the film, you've gone through a lot of them. Um, as I said, I think with this director, yeah. um, 
he is an action director. I haven't seen Death Trance. I have seen Versus. And he definitely has an imagination when it comes to fight. Even that first fight scene I did like Mm -hmm. when he's attacked by the gimp ninjas. Oh, yeah. It's nothing spectacular, but it's certainly entertaining. And you can tell this is a guy who has fun Mm -hmm. with those scenes. But, yeah, anything in between those scenes is just torture. And I think... even with people posing and stuff. And there are funny moments where it's almost like a self-mockery he does with uh, characters' reactions or reaction shots of the guy from Crow Zero, I believe. It looked exactly like the guy that um, the, the main guy in part one was trying to topple as the head of the high school, right? That's the guy yeah. I said. Except he had like a, like a John Waters mustache in this. And yeah, so... It, even when he would keep cutting to his reaction shots he'd flip and his hair he'd flip his hair, it's like, okay, well, I don't know if he's making fun of his posturing and posing, but there obviously wasn't much thought put into no. the script writing here. No, no. It was just people sort of rambling on. Yeah, like, like, you, like me. <laughs> no, like you said, I love the, the thing you said where it's like people just shooting in their backyard because it has that vibe. Like they shot it over maybe two or three weekends in someone's backyard, like someone had a forest in the back of their house. And Yeah, it does have more talent than that than a bunch of kids going into the backyard but that's not really saying too much no, no. <laughs> but yeah i guess other than that unless i think of something way later that's my thoughts on the film okay excellent um so my make or break this is going to sound odd i referenced earlier what made the film for me was when i just kind of let go of, of how harsh i was and how critical i was of the film and i just kind of said you know what it's, it's not really going to be that just let it go and enjoy it for what it is is cheap and whatever as that may have been i had to kind of just let go and enjoy it on its own terms uh my mvt is just the effects and kind of the bang for the buck with the choreography and the action stuff and i thought that was pretty good considering how cheap the film was um which like you said is the strength of the director clearly my score for the film is a 5.5 out of 10 it's it's okay i mean it's a time waster but don't expect much out of it and you'll you'll be satisfied well this is going to show like as much as i am negative towards a film I really have a hard time giving bad reviews. Um, my break for the film. Yes. I believe I've said this 500 times, so it comes as no surprise. It's the pacing. Mm-hmm. The writing, the pacing. I think you can have a cheap film, mm-hmm. and if you know it's going to be cheap, you try and amp up the yeah. other things. You say, yeah. okay, well, we don't have much money for this. Let's at least have characters that are funny or give them uh, you know, some sort of relationship that's interesting um i think it's really too bad that they were happy just to sort of have these movie characters and nothing but like here's a ninja who's cool and here's a ninja who's brooding yeah it's kind of really never went beyond that so that kind of broke the film for me uh the most valuable thing would be the gore and the action and stuff it's certainly without that it would be a nightmare. But yet, my rating's 5.75 out of oh, wow. 10. So it's uh, all a point two five higher than yours. That was with both films. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Maybe I just listened to yours yeah, at yeah. 2.5 or 0.25. <laughs> it's like Price is Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just overbid a little and see if I win. <laughs> yeah. But as I said before, I don't dislike the film. As I, as I mentioned to you, I would watch Versus again as much as I piss and moan on my front porch, drink my lemonade about verses, 
I do plan on watching that director's cut. The director's cut, not the two hour cut. No, I don't think I could do the two hour cut. And I think it's once again expectations. This is the Toronto After Dark Festival. Mm -hmm. Alien vs. Ninja, this sounds awesome. You go in and. I I didn't even realize it was a co director of Versus. No, I didn't until you said it. Um, So you sort of go in and it, it takes a while really to get going. Like, there's a lot of scenes with that that annoying character. I could have made that the break for the I'm, film. I'm glad him and the eye patch guy weren't in the film more. Yeah, but that annoying character was in there a lot. Yeah, he was actually. He and was. Uh, so, like that was getting pretty grating, and you know you kind of want you're hoping for the best, but still five point seven five. Okay, there you go. Which that's fair. Yeah, it, it's definitely that's not as bad as you probably thought I was going to give it. No, I thought maybe I thought you know like you said you're you're easy to please. So I thought maybe give it a five ish. So that's all right. That's fair. Yeah, I think it's worth seeing for a couple scenes alone. Yeah, as I as I said, don't base your whole week around it. But you know, it's it, it's <laughs> not even your whole ninety minutes you're yes. watching around yeah. it. If you want to make supper yeah. something yeah. while you're watching it, yeah. feel free. Yeah, absolutely. I would wholeheartedly endorse that. So. There you go, 5.75, 5.5, and uh, I think with that, we can say the customary adios. The customary adios? Yes, sir. Adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207, and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 